Well, good morning. Uh, so it's going to seem like I've been drinking a lot of espresso this morning because, and I have had a little, uh, but uh, I'm just so excited. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be more excited about what we just did. He has raised us to newness of life. He's given us a commission to make him known and to baptize others. He's with us. And today we get to do another part of that, which is try and teach the things he's taught us. Uh, if this is a first or second time for you to be with us, we're so glad you're here. Obviously, you can see that we're a church transitioning. <laughs> we're changing a little bit. You can see the winds of change all over our building. We're trying to renovate not only some physical things, but also uh, some philosophy things and things that we're doing. We just want to be all that God wants us to be. And we want to have the best opportunity to reach people in our community that we possibly can. Amen? That's the reason for it. Well, we're so glad you're here. We are in our Acts series. You just saw a little bit of a depiction of what we're going to talk about today, which is the very first miracle of the Christian church. The very first miracle of the Christian church. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I want to get right to it if we can. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, you can look behind me on the screen, I think, and we can read this together. This is uh, Acts 3, and I'll be reading from the ESV translation of the Bible. Verse 1 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this, this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ 
appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Verse 24, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Father God, we read again part of this beautiful story of your church. And Lord, I pray that by your grace and your goodness that somehow you allow us to unpack the truth there, not just historically in the way that what happened, but for us, that we can see your heart and your plan and your desire for your church. And God, would you give us courage to not only hear your word, but to act upon it and be the church you're calling us to be. We love you. We bless you. We give you this time. May you be glorified in it. We thank you for your word in Jesus' precious name. And God's people said? Amen. All right. That sounds good. That sounds good. Well, this is a, a beautiful story this morning. We see that, first of all, we see a relationship, okay? We see Peter and John. Now, we see Peter and John a lot in the Gospels and throughout the Bible uh, in, in these stories in the New Testament because they were partners. We know that it's in Luke 4 or 5, it tells us that they were partners in a fishing business before they were disciples, okay? So these guys knew each other. They were buddies, and God had, had called them both, and they had both uh, accepted that call and followed Jesus. And so as buddies and friends, now they're preaching together and going together. And we see this awesome relationship move forward in courage. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this story, it just feels like Peter and John had a really awesome conversation <laughs> uh, before this moment. They, they seem to be just in line, in step with each other. Almost as if they had just come from a time of prayer, like, Lord, whatever you do, whoever you bring in our path, whatever the... They just seemed ready. They seemed like they had a laser focus on whatever God would bring to them, didn't it? And so we see them come to the temple. They come at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, which is what the Scripture calls the hour of prayer. But it's not just the hour of prayer. It's also the hour of sacrifice. And it's not a coincidence that Peter and John have chosen maybe the most busy time of the temple to come. They know God has empowered them by the Holy Spirit. They, we just, Paul did a beautiful job. Where are you, Paul? Thank you for last week. He shared with us about uh, the heart of the church and the community of the church walking together. Peter and John come out of that community, right? And they want to make him known. And so they come out of that community empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they are ready. They come at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Big crowd there. I just get the sense that they walk in with this confidence that God is with us. And he's about to do something amazing. And he does, doesn't he? They hear somebody call out. And listen, this is a busy area, the beautiful gate. Very busy area. There would have been several voices calling out, not just this man. There would have been a bunch of voices. 
But for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, their, their attention is drawn to this beggar, to this crippled man. Now, this man would have been known, okay? Now, you go different places a lot. You go to the grocery store, probably the same grocery store a lot. You probably know the cashiers, right? You might go to the gym, and you always know that there's that one guy on the elliptical machine who won't get off, or whatever the case may be. In the same way, people who came to the temple, they knew this man. He was carried there every single day. They knew his face. They knew that his ailment, his, his situation, his handicap was real. They knew that he was a beggar. So I want to tell you a little bit about the beautiful gate, this place that he had chosen to beg. There's probably not a better place to beg. He's there for the same reason that, that uh, Peter and John are. There's a lot of people, right? There's a reason he's there at that time. He's hoping to get more money as he begs. A lot of beggars would choose to beg maybe at a rich man's home or at this place, the beautiful gate. This is the best place to beg in town. Here's another reason to beg in this, in this location. People want to be pious. They dressed in such a way that they're seen in the church, and they regale you. You saw a little bit of what it might have looked like from those, those uh, priests. The outfits were just outrageous. People walking in these outfits, and you know what made you look even a little bit more spiritual? When you very kindly gave something to a poor person. Ooh, it must be, you must be really spiritual when you do that. That's one of the reasons this beggar is there. He's taking advantage also of people who are trying to look religious. Okay? Now, I want to tell you about the beautiful gate. This is a huge opening into the temple. We have uh, knowledge from the early Jewish historian Josephus that tells us that the beautiful gate was covered in Corinthian brass. Just think about it. I mean, you would have been able to see it from miles away. It would have just gleamed in your eye, covered in Corinthian brass. Josephus tells us that it took 20 men to open and close the gate. This is a big area, right? This is a large area. And this man had picked the perfect time to get as much as he could from people. He asked for something every single day, all day. But today is going to be a different day for this beggar, no doubt. So he hears, they hear this man calling out to him, Peter and John. They give him their complete attention. And I love as we look at that little section of Scripture, we see there's a real little bit of detail on the attention that they give him. In fact, it's the same wording in the Greek that we saw in chapter 1 when Jesus was ascended into heaven. And remember, we, and, it, and it said the disciples were, were gazing. They were, they, was, uh, they were fixated. In the same way, it uses the same wording. So in this moment, there is a very intentional gaze between Peter and John and this crippled man. Now, that would have been different alone because people just step over this man. They might have thrown him something, but rarely did they look him in the eyes. And rarely did they sit down in his mess and in his level and have a conversation with him. And that's exactly what Peter and John do. Let's look at that in Acts chapter 3, verse 3. It says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now I want us to make the very first application that we can make this morning as a church and as believers in Jesus. Okay, This is very important. And I love, I love that, the, that the word is teaching us 
this truth today. The first thing that we notice and the first thing that we ask ourselves as believers is, do we notice people in need? Do we stop? Are we willing to have a conversation? Because listen, I know it's easy to pull up to that red light and you can see him over here in the peripheral vision, can't you? And you're not sure whether you should look because you're not, you don't, may not have any cash. I never carry cash on me, ever. And sometimes I'm, I feel bad if I'm going to, oh, I don't have cash. Should I even look and say hi? Or I don't, you don't know what to do, right? It's time for us sometimes to stop and have conversations. It's time for us sometimes to give. It's time for us to feed. It's time for us to be in the lives of all people. And that's exactly what Peter and, and John did, and that's what we need to do as a church and individuals. Are we willing to give them what they need, which is greater maybe than what they're asking for? They may be asking for a burger from McDonald's. And you know what? That's okay. Go get them a burger. And, but talk to them about what they really need, and that's what? Jesus. That's what really matters. That's what really matters. The man was looking for something temporal, and they gave him something eternal. Changed his life forever and blew his mind and blew the minds of all the people in attendance. Acts 3, verse 7. This is Peter. It says uh, about Peter. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up. Now, let's stop there just for a second. The, the, our Hollywood didn't do that, did they? They had him slowly, and he was even groaning. Oh, that's the way I sound when I get out of bed in the morning. But trust me, this man was not groaning, and he wasn't slow about it. He leapt. He jumped up. That's what the word says. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, I don't know if you notice this order of how this is told to us, but I think it's significant. It says that Peter takes the man's right hand and tells him to rise. Remember? Rise. And then it says his feet and his ankles were made whole. Now, if I was writing this, it seems like it makes more sense to say, well, Peter took his hand, his feet and ankles were made whole, and he was able to stand up. That's not what it says. It says Peter spoke in faith as he took his hand, and he says, rise. And then, immediately, his feet and ankles were made whole, and he was able to stand up. I think that what that says to us is sometimes we have to speak into the future the things we want to see God do. We have to say to things in faith. Lord, would you do that thing? And so we say to that baptistry, like I did a few months ago, Lord, would you fill this place? Would you bring people to come and know you, to be saved from their sin, from the, the wretched lives that we live without Jesus, and would you fill this baptistry by your grace? In faith, we speak to that baptistry. In faith, we speak to our community and say, we want to see people healed and whole. We want them to know Jesus, but we want, we want them to have better jobs. We want them to be better parents. We want them to have better health because that's what Jesus does. He brings things 
He makes things better. He brings restoration. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. This man's miracle was not just the fact that his body was healed. At the exact same time, his, his feet and ankles were made strong. He was given balance and coordination. <laughs> I mean, that's another miracle. So last night I was sitting in my daughter's room uh, praying and looking over my message. Just like the best place to do it. I'm surrounded by dolls. They represent you guys. And uh, I don't get as many amens, but there's not that many less. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but it's a good time to sit there with the, with the dolls and I, I work on my message. I had my foot kind of behind my, you know, underneath me. And as I got up, I, could, I couldn't walk. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, that's just where I'm at in my age. That was, a, I sat there for about five minutes. Here's a man who knows, maybe from birth who hasn't had use of his feet. You think he would have looked like the guy on, on the, the video here. Maybe he would have groaned a little and take, oh, taking his time getting up. But he didn't. The miracle is that he felt the strength in his body and he leapt up. He jumped up. And he had coordination. That's beautiful. Uh, you know, what this does, this gives credibility to Peter and John's message. In this moment, with all these people that they've come at this specific time, this miracle gives credibility to what they're going to say. And it gives credibility to the church that they're leading. So all these people are going, wait a minute, I, I, I saw Jesus and these guys are with Jesus and I just saw that miracle and God is at work and he's doing something here. That was the purpose of the miracle. You know, I, uh, we had our first elders meeting this past week and it was awesome. It was so exciting. We prayed together. We thanked God uh, for all the things that he's doing and we, we uh, talked about what, you know, what we're going to do in the future it was just a beautiful meeting, and I got home, and my, my wife asked me how it went. And I said, all I can tell you is that all of these men are all-stars. They are all-stars. And I said, honey, it felt like I was at a basketball goal on a playground about to play a pickup game. And I went, um, I'll take Jordan and Pippen. And is that all the basketball fans we have over here? Come on, that's supposed to be funny. I got Jordan and Pippen. That's significant, right? And so, and that's the way I feel about Bill Wellens and John David Smith, the two advisory elders that are blessing us with their presence for a year. They're all-stars, as well as these two gentlemen, but those two guys, they're all-stars, and it was just such a, a neat thing. Their being on our elder board gives our church credibility. Their being on our elder board gives us strength so that people can go, wow, God is doing something in that church. I want to be a part of that. I want to see what he's doing. Right? Verse 10 says, they were filled with wonder and amazement. I love that because you know what? We don't get a whole lot of wonder and amazement in our lives. And so when I see it, I like to pay attention to it. They were filled with wonder and amazement. Because this miracle had taken place and they knew the context in which it had happened. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. How amazing it would be for our community just to be going, what is going on over there? Because I knew this one family, and they're actually parenting better than they were. I knew these kids, and they weren't very good kids, but they've been going to this program over here called LSY. And they said, yes, ma'am, and, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, sir. 
and they are helping me around the house. They're better kids. What if the community began to say with wonder and amazement, what's happening over there? That's what we want to see. This text talks about Solomon's uh, portico, which is basically like his porch. And when I was in Jerusalem a few years ago, I got to uh, see it. Now, this is the same place where Jesus overturned the... uh, the money changers, right? And he made the whip. And I've always in my mind pictured just a small little area. This is not a small area. This is a huge area. Solomon's porch, colonnade, this is kind of next to each other. So I wanted to show you that just so you get some framework of the size we're talking about. These are a lot of people. No telling how many thousands of people that could hold. Peter begins his message. And listen, all of this has gotten, has gone on for this moment. Everything that's happened, the wonder, the amazement, the miracle, uh, the ruckus, it's all taken place for this moment. And Peter readies himself. He begins this message, he makes it clear, just as he did at the upper room at the house when the Holy Spirit had shown up. He says the first thing, this isn't about me. Why are you looking at me like I have some sort of power or piety? I don't. You know I was with Jesus and Jesus did miracles and Jesus is still doing miracles. And that's the reason you saw what you just saw. Because of Jesus. And then he preaches basically the same message that Jesus is the Messiah. And you murdered the Messiah. It's the same message. Now, he uses this phrase in his message that's very interesting. He says, he uses the phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is a common phrase for prophets to use. It's as if Peter's kind of putting himself next to these Old Testament prophets. And you know why? Because they spoke of the coming Messiah, and now Peter speaks of the Messiah who has come. He can stand next to those Old Testament prophets, and he can use that language and that vernacular, and it would get their attention and make them think about the Messiah. Then he goes on to use this list of paradoxes, which any good communicator could use, right? But I love these. I want to go down this list. He says, Jesus was a servant, but God exalted him. He says, Jesus was their deliverer, But yet the nation of Israel delivered him to Pilate. He says, they have rejected, or you have rejected the holy, righteous one and chosen the unholy and unjust murderer instead. When when Peter uses the word righteous, that word means innocent of every crime. You chose the man innocent of every possible crime and chose the murderer clearly guilty. And then he says, you put to death the author of life while asking for the release of the one who took life. Jesus, the originator of life. You chose a man who murders instead of the man who created life. Now do you think these paradoxes landed heavy on the hearts of these these men? I think so. 
And I also remind you that in Isaiah uh, 36, I believe it is, it says that the lame will what? Leap. So just, we've talked about this before. In our beautiful story that God is writing, he's still dropping in these hints. Like, guys, don't you remember that in Isaiah I told you that when the Messiah comes, the lame will leap? What just happened out here? The lame have leaped like a deer, it says in Isaiah. And you just saw that. Here's another hint that we're living in the time of Messiah. We see Peter in our text really try to draw these guys a little closer. And try and relate to him, honestly. And, and the way he does that is he says, brothers. It's almost like we just get to see this little compassion, compassionate moment from Peter saying, brethren or brothers. It's his way to connect to them like, hey, I, I get it. I get where you were. I was one of you. And he says, I know that you acted in ignorance like your rulers. But now you should see the truth. The truth that Jesus was and is Messiah. And that you murdered him. He says, we were witnesses to it. We saw Jesus' miracles. We saw his life. We saw his death. We saw his resurrection. We saw his ascension. We were witnesses to it. And he says, you've seen this miracle as well. And then he says to this group of people the same thing that we would say to any group of people, and that is repent. He said, once you know the truth, once you've seen the truth, and you know that Jesus was and is Messiah, and you know this horrific thing that we've done, which is to murder the Messiah, repent. Repent, turn your back on the way you were living. See, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. So i got to ask you this. If you call yourself a Christian and your life has not changed at all, there's a good chance you have not experienced repentance. If you call yourself a church member or a believer in Jesus and you're doing the exact same things you were doing before you came to know Jesus or before you called him your Savior, there's a good chance you have not experienced repentance. Repentance means, Lord, I'm changing my mind. You've proven to me that you're the Messiah. I believe in you. You've changed my mind. And now you, you change my life. Doesn't mean that we don't fail. Doesn't mean we don't mess up. We're going to do that all the time. And by his grace, he covers us and loves us. However, repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. One of my favorite teachers, I think he's one of the best we have that's alive right now, is Tim Keller. He's a pastor in uh, New York City. He says about this text something that I just want to tell you. He says there's four main points, and then we're going to be done about this text and this story. He says... This story, this miracle, and really any miracle ought to fit under the, the uh, framework of these four points, okay? Any miracle that's of God ought to fit in the framework of these four points. It says, firstly, 
this miracle points upward, right? Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he said, why are you looking at us? This doesn't have to do with us. It's, it's pointing upward. Jesus did this. This is his miracle. He, this, the reason for this is for him and for you to know him. Miracles ought to point to Jesus. This miracle also gives credibility, like I said, to this New Testament church and to the message of a risen Savior. The second thing it does, this miracle points forward. And I love this. I love this. I hadn't considered this. It points forward. See, every time we see in the Gospels, Jesus heals somebody. We see him heal the sick, right? We see him feed the hungry. We see him heal the crippled. We see all these things. He's alleviating human suffering, right? He's making life better for people who need it most. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because God hates sickness, God hates cancer, he hates illness, he hates poverty, he hates hunger, he hates abuse. And so when he created the world, he created it in perfection. And when he makes the world new again, he will make it in perfection. And so these miracles point forward to the restoration of the world. Do you get it? They point forward to God's restoration of all things. When he makes all things New. You know, uh, we talk a lot about story here. I love stories. Uh, Jesus mainly used stories in his ministry to tell the truth uh, of God. The great narrative, story arc of God is this. It is creation. It is fall. When we sinned, we fell. It is the rescue when Jesus changes life and changes the world and gives his only, God gives his only son, Jesus, to die for us. That's the rescue he gave us. And then lastly, restoration. Every miracle ought to point upward to Jesus and forward to the restoration. The third thing is this. The miracle points inward. <laughs> it points inward. Silver or gold I don't have, Peter said, but what I do have I give you. It's like Peter saying to this beggar, he's saying, my friend, you're asking for far too little. <laughs> is that all you want is some alms? This man had gotten to the point where his illness, his, his handicap, his life, he just wanted to survive. Listen, man, I, I just want to survive. Just give me a little bit to survive. And how many of us are the crippled beggar? Because we don't pay attention to the illness and the sickness in our lives. And we just say, I just need a little bit to survive. And we forget that Jesus is a miracle-working God who wants to change everything about our lives. He doesn't want to just give us a little to survive. In fact, he doesn't even want to just heal our sickness. He wants to heal our sin. That's the greater miracle. Yes, this man's feet and ankles became whole and he jumped up and fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah and leapt like a deer. But more than that, Peter led this man to Jesus. So much of our world is so focused on their sickness and their illness or their hunger or their problems. And listen, we need to be attentive to those things. 
but that is not their greatest need. Yes, we need to meet those needs. And we even see Peter and John meeting that physical need. But we can't forget their greatest need, which is to know Jesus. The miracle points inward. It points to our greatest need of faith and salvation. What are you looking for that's not Jesus? He was just looking for a little survival. What, what are you looking for that's not Jesus? If I could just have a little bit more money at work, if I could just have a little bit more vacation time, if I could just get rid of this cough, if I, if I just didn't have this cancer, if I didn't have this thing in my life, if I could just take care of that, then what if we focused on our greatest need instead and we let the Lord heal us or change us according to his will? Here's the fourth thing, and then we're going to be finished. The miracle points downward, Keller says. He gives this example of uh, superheroes. Uh, my friend Andrew right here is a big uh, sci-fi fan, and I guarantee he loves superhero movies and stuff like that. And I do too. But the thing that's interesting about modern-day superhero movies and stories is that the supernatural powers that are given to these people, or these things or whatever, is that it makes them stronger and more invincible, right? They can dodge bullets. They can fly. They can, it makes them better, stronger, more invincible. And yet the real story of Jesus and his supernatural power, it made him weak. It made him vulnerable. You see, he had all the power in the world, in heaven. He was untouchable. And his supernatural power made him weak. It made him vulnerable. It allowed him to come to a sick and dying world and take on this rotting flesh. It allowed him to become weak and hang on a cross and be buried in a human's tomb. And you know, the truth is, is when we come to know Jesus, we have to receive the power of God through our own weakness. We have to say, Lord, I, I'm not fit. My life is not what it needs to be. I need you to forgive me. I need to humble myself. I need, you to, ask, I need to ask you to change me and give me life in Jesus. It's through that weakness that we receive Christ, and in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And you know what? Even as a church and as individuals, if we're going to be used of God, we have to allow the power of God to flow through us in humility, and in weakness, and meekness. Before we go this morning, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence. <laughs> and I've just been reflecting on this and praying about it. I believe God is a sovereign God. And so just as this beggar uh, in God's sovereignty happened to be the one to be healed that day, because listen, there was a plethora of people who needed healing that day. In God's sovereignty, this man was chosen. In God's sovereignty, this passage and this story was chosen for us today. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the very first thing we see come out of this beautiful invention of God called the church, the very first thing, Paul, Paul preached last week about this beautiful community sharing things in common. And doing life together and being on mission and, and loving each other well and 
sharing meals and being in each other's home, this beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be, the next thing we see is Peter and John walking to the temple and focusing on the life of someone who is in struggle. We see the very first act of the church, an act of kindness, an act of benevolence, an act of compassion, a conversation with someone that wouldn't normally have conversations. What does that mean for us? God has placed us, has Temple Baptist Church right here where we sit because he has a mission for us. He's inviting us into this mission of his that we can be a part of. And the people that surround our church, the families, the homes, the children, they have needs. God forbid that we step over a need and just go to church. God forbid that we be like the Pharisees and not notice the needs at our doorstep, but instead may we get our hands dirty in the lives of people. That God do a miracle. Listen, we don't have, I so wish I had miracle power. I wouldn't be here if I, if I did. I'd be at the hospital putting that place out of business. I don't have the miracle that Peter and John had that caused this wonder and excitement and this message to be received so powerfully. But do you know what else is a miracle? When we build relationships with people and we see the miracle of relationship, we see the miracle of racial reconciliation, we see the miracle of justice in our community done in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth because that's the thing that the community will say in wonder and amazement, what's going on over there? That's a miracle. And that'll be the thing that draws people to the truth and the message of Jesus. What a beautiful story for us today. And interesting that out of this church, out of this invention of God called the body of Christ, this is the first story we see. It shows the heart of God for the least of these. May we have his heart, not just to be socially just. That's not what we see in this. We see social justice, but more than that, we see ministry take place. We see the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus presented and given to this man. And I love that little section of, of scripture that says, I didn't talk about it, but it says he clung to Peter and Jesus. Now, it wasn't because he had bad legs, right? He's just leaping. So he doesn't need help to hold to walk. He just is so grateful. He's so grateful. He's just holding on to these men because they've changed his eternity and his very existence. And you know what? That's the opportunity we have in this community to make a difference in the lives of people, to make a difference in the lives, our lives, by trusting and knowing Jesus and making him known, not just going to church and stepping over the needs, but meeting those needs in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the legacy of what Temple Baptist Church has been. Uh, God, thank you that you have done so much 
not just here. You've done so much at Wright Avenue. You've done so much in thousands of lives, mine included. And Lord, we just seek you to, to ask, Lord, what would you have us do now? How would you have us lead now? How would you have us meet the needs of this community now? How would you have us love people the way you love people now? God, it's easy just to roll down the window and throw a couple of dollars out the, out the window and, and hope that that person finds the strength and the help that they need. It takes a lot more energy to pull over. And have a conversation and maybe even get to the systematic, the systemic issue of what this person is facing. And maybe we can help. And maybe it's not even that dramatic. Maybe it's just some kids who need help reading. Maybe it's just some kids who need to know that they are loved. And we give them that gaze Peter and John gave this man. We look into their eyes and we say, hey, look at us. We love you. We care about you. You matter. Hmm. Lord, we surrender to you. And we pray that you would do a work here in us that is so far beyond us that we just stand back in wonder and amazement how good you are to allow us to be a part of your mission to reach people in the name of Jesus. We worship you now. Help us to continue to surrender. Open our eyes with laser focus to a world that has so many needs. And give us the courage to go and speak and meet those needs in your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.